A reading from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed, by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. The word of the Lord. Uh, Almighty Father, Uh, we have just said that we uh, believe in you, and uh, that is to say we trust in you and uh, who you are, what you've done, uh, and what you call us to do. Uh, and yet, as we say that we believe in you, um, even that itself is an act of faith. We're, we're in a sense, uh, asking you for the faith, to provide the faith that we cannot generate ourselves. Um, we want to trust you. We want to trust you more than we do right now. Uh, and Father, as we walk through uh, this life, uh, as the text says, we want to uh, walk by faith and not by sight. And will you teach us what that means? Will you impart the reality? Just as we prayed in the collect, will you graft in our hearts a love of your name? Graft, um, uh, bring alongside that which, was, which is not natural to us, but what is natural to you. Will you give us a love that we cannot make ourselves? And will you grant us to hear your word now? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Please be seated. Um, happy Father's Day uh, to you. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. So uh, got, that, got that sorted. Um, friends, uh, turn over to uh, page 7. Uh, we're going to continue looking at uh, 2 Corinthians um, picking up where we left off last week. Now, here's the thing. We are obviously, as a church, in a season of relaunching. Um, that's obvious partially because, I mean, look look at us, you know, look at us. Um, we're, we're in this kind of funny in-between stage. We're coming out of COVID. We're not where we're uh, going to land. We're looking forward to getting upstairs, getting everybody back together, everybody on Zoom, uh, we mean you. Um, we're in kind of a relaunching phase. And, and as part of that, I want to make sure that in this relaunching phase, we don't waste the specific opportunities that are unique to this time. What I mean by that is um, we want to refocus uh, our attention on some of the foundational things. Uh, who are we? Who do we need to be? Who does Jesus want us to be? Um, well, think of it this way. We, need, we, we get to uh, recalibrate our lives and the life of our church so that we harmonize more fully more beautifully 
with the beauty of Jesus Christ. We want to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ. And in times of transition, it's an opportunity to bring the picture into greater focus. Does that make sense? Okay, great. So that's one of the reasons why we're hanging out a little bit in 2 Corinthians. We're not doing the whole of the book, but over the last few weeks, the Apostle Paul has been helping us, so to, so to speak, retool our vision of the Christian life. And uh, one of the key themes that we've seen, and we started seeing it at the end of Exodus, and you know what I'm going to say, if you think, is, is he going to say it? And the answer is absolutely, of course I am. God's best gift is always himself. Man, I love that. Um, so now here's what I want to add today. When that reality lands on your life, that God's best gift is always himself. When we begin to love God in increasing measure, not just for the, the, the lovely things that he gives us, which are amazing, but, but for who he is in himself, then one of the shifts that happens in our lives is that um, there's a shift in our ambition and in our, our deep aim in life and in our fundamental objective in life. When you deeply sense, know, feel that God himself is God's best gift, and when we're captivated by the beauty of Jesus Christ, then we will find ourselves wanting to live for Christ above all. We'll want to live uh, not primarily to please ourselves, not primarily to please others, though, of course, those things are always involved in some measure, but we will want to live above all for Jesus Christ. And I take this from verse 9. Take a look at it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul says, speaking about the Lord, whether we are at home or away, meaning whether we're dead or alive, we make it our aim to please the Lord. Now, remember that the Apostle Paul is saying this from the vantage point of one of the darkest periods of his life. Um, he had just gone through terrible suffering, maybe is still in it. And yet, despite all of that, despite the darkness that he has experienced, he is crystal clear on his high aim. He is dead set on his high aim. He wants to live the, to please the Lord, and he wants that to be the highest ambition of his life. And the implication is of the Corinthians life. And I want to say, let's retool so that it is the central driving aim of our life individually and as a church. That's what I want to try to persuade you of. And I want to do it by pointing out in this passage, three things that are going to sound bizarre. You ready? We live in a tent. God's building us a home and everything we do in the tent matters for the home. Those are the, like the worst rhetorical three points in the history of rhetoric. But nonetheless, here we go. We live in a tent. Look at verse one. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God. There's where I get the images. A house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. Pause. Now, what's going on there? Well, when Paul talks about the tent... He's talking about his human body. Now, think about your human body for a second. Um, I said human body. It, I expect that the only bodies we have are human ones in this room. Um, but any of it, think about your body. Um, now, the thing about your body is this. It is, um, it's the most permanent thing you've ever had. Fair? Right? Um, not a very insightful comment. But um, what I mean is you've never known life without your body. Because in a deep and profound way, you are your body. But here's the thing. As permanent as your body feels, 
It's not. Right? Your body, the most permanent thing you've ever experienced in your life is not permanent at all. It's very temporary, in fact. Which is to say, and, and, and this is when uh, pastors get to um, uh, remind us of the bad news. The timer's ticking, team. Like, like you, 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 you know, you set the timer in the clock, and then you get distracted, and you burn the dinner or whatever, and the, and the dinner goes off, and you're like, man, time flew. That's our life. Like, it's, the timer is moving on. Um, our bodies have never, your body has never been more temporary than it is right now. Isn't that wonderful? You're like, thanks, Jim. Remind me, help me remember why I come to church. Um, but here's, here's the weird thing. Um, well, and that's part of the reason why Paul calls them tents here. Uh, tent, or Paul was a tent maker by trade. And one of the things about tents is that tents are places where you stay, especially in this con context, they're places you stay on the way to someplace else, typically. So tents are a place you stay uh, for a little while, but not forever. Um, they are neither your final destination, nor are they your permanent residence. And that's actually one of the things that makes tents good in a funny sort of way, because here's the thing. Um, if you're living in a tent in Paul's day, you're in the middle of a journey. And the tent itself points beyond itself to the final destination. Um, so you live in the tent, and the, just the fact that you're living in a tent means you're not completely settled. It keeps your mind fixed on your goal, on your end destination. And that's part of the gift. Now, all of this is part of, part of the background for the Apostle Paul. Because Paul is right in the middle of writing this, feeling the fragility of his life. Um, he is feeling, the, he's got health problems, we think probably. He, we know that he's being persecuted, oppressed, abused by authorities. We know he is always on the road and he's never got a, a place to call home for any length of time, except for maybe jails. He is feeling the tentness of his life. And he groans. Do you groan? Verse 2. He groans for his heavenly home. Now, there's a couple different ways that you can groan when you're in the midst of suffering, right? So when I uh, go through a time that, I, that displeases me, I sometimes groan, but it's more like a whine. You know, I, I, I kind of, you know, I'm disappointed with life or whatever, or I'm resentful a little bit. And, I, and there's a, it's a groan with an eye roll thrown in. It's like, I hate this, you know? But that's not what Paul's doing. Paul is groaning and longing and desiring to find his way to his permanent home, his final destination. And his tentness, his experience of his body as this temporary thing that has fragility woven into it, um, his, the tent points to its final destination. And Paul's experience of the difficulty makes him long and groan for his final home which he trusts that God is going to give him. Now, let me just pause there for just a second, and let me uh, kind of as a sidebar address a possible misunderstanding. I can hear somebody saying, oh, yeah, right, the body, temporary, heaven, forever. Therefore, I can imagine somebody saying, Jim's telling me that my body really doesn't matter. My body doesn't matter as much as I think it does. And if that is what comes in your mind, can I ask you to find, to kind of highlight that and delete it? Okay, because if I imply that, then that's heresy, and I'm not allowed to do that. Um, so, and that's not what the Bible teaches. 
When God created you, he created your body and he loved you and he loved your body. And in his love for your body, he gave your body a remarkable dignity. And part of the Christian life is actually learning to value our bodies like God values our bodies. Don't ever forget that God valued the human body in such a way that he actually became a human body in the person of Jesus Christ. And part of the gift of the human body is its tentness, its fragility. It, our fragility and our tentness isn't something that detracts from the dignity of our bodies. It's something that's actually part of God's plan in at least this way, because God uses the temporary nature of our bodies and the fragility of our, of our bodies as we experience them now to teach us that we are not autonomous, that we did not create ourselves and we cannot sustain ourselves. And in the end, all of our permanence and all of our strength must come from God alone. The very tentness of our body is meant to drive us to God, and that's part of its dignity. It's not all of it, but it's part of it. And so that's why the Apostle Paul points us from the tent to the permanent home that God is building for us. Look at verse 1. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Verse 5. He who has prepared this for us is God, who has given us this spirit as a guarantee. Now, when, when Paul talks about this building made without hands, he's talking about, he's not talking about heaven like we sometimes think of heaven, especially popularly. Well, in Christian culture, we often think of heaven. Did, did, did you ever grow up thinking about heaven as a little bit like this, this place maybe in the clouds with disembodied spirits running about, a lot like ghosts, except for you knew that you weren't supposed to call them ghosts, and therefore you called them spirits, right? That's often kind of the way we think about it, but that's not what Paul's talking about. Paul is talking about the resurrection physical body that God will give him. And we know that from the paragraph just before this, okay? Um, just, like Jesus, just like God remade Jesus's body after his death and his resurrection, in the same way, God promises to remake our bodies. If you belong to Jesus, God promises to remake our bodies so that they'll be like Jesus's body. That's the permanent dwelling that Paul's talking about here. And now let me try to show you something else. The great thing about the new home that God is building us and the great thing about our new resurrection bodies that God's going to give us is not just that they'll last forever. That's great. But that's not the only good thing about them. There's something else that's really important here. And to explain this, we need to, in our minds, go back to Exodus. Do you remember the tabernacle? Okay. It all, it all weaves together, team. The tabernacle. Remember the tabernacle is a tent. Uh, and it was temporary. And the tabernacle pointed to something else. It pointed to a final destination. Now, Emmanuel, what was that final destination that the tabernacle pointed to? Was it the promised land? Kind of, but not entirely. Was it the temple? Because eventually Israel uh, replaced the tabernacle tent with a, a temple made of stone. Was that the final destination? Well, they thought so. But it ended up not really, because the temple itself was destroyed. What was the final destination to which the tabernacle always pointed, that tent? Well, in the Gospel of John chapter 2, guess what we find out? Jesus tells us that it's his body. Jesus says, my body, in so many words, he says, my body is the final temple, 
and is the final tabernacle and is the final destination to which the tabernacle always pointed. What in the world are you talking about, Jim? Remember, the tabernacle was like an embassy. It was a place where God and humanity could meet together. But it was only a temporary provision. And the final provision of a place where God and humanity can meet together is the body of Jesus Christ. And that's quite literally true with, literally true with Jesus' body because Jesus is fully human and fully God at the same time. And therefore, just by Jesus being Jesus, he is the meeting place between God and humanity. But when you belong to Jesus Christ, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, Jesus sends his Holy Spirit into our lives. And when the Holy Spirit comes into your life, your body, everybody pinch yourself, your body becomes a little tabernacle. It becomes a place where God and humanity can live together. Now, just stop for a second and grasp what that means. Because it's magnificent, team. It means that if you belong to Jesus Christ, God has made your body to be a tabernacle. It means that your body is a tent, not just because it's temporary and fragile, but also because it houses God in a very profound and significant way so that God ooh, values your body much as he valued the tabernacle and the temple in the Old Testament. And if you do not belong to Jesus Christ, that's one of the many things that God wants to offer you today, to make your body a house of God. And that's part of the dignity that God wants to impart to you. And so let me just, just real quick on the side, remind you, Emmanuel, when you think of your bodies, be very careful. Be, be very careful. Never devalue what God has dignified. Back to the text. All of this explains uh, verse 5, because do you see how Paul says that the Holy Spirit is a guarantee? Well, the word guarantee really means first installment or down payment. And here's what it means. It means this. It means right now, Jesus has made our bodies. If you belong to Jesus, Jesus has made our bodies to be a tabernacle, a place where God and humanity can live together. And that's the first installment. That sweet fellowship between God and your soul is the first installment of an eternal joy. After we die... Uh, just like God raised Jesus physically from the dead, so uh, um, God will give us new bodies. And those new bodies eventually will enjoy perfect fellowship and intimacy with God. But it's the same fellowship and the same intimacy with God that we get to experience now, a little. Right now, we taste it a little. There, it will be a feast forever. Let me try to say this differently. Emmanuel, when you trust in Jesus and when you sense that God's promises in the scriptures are true for you, not just true in generally, but true for you, and you feel yourself to be a beneficiary of them, and when you know that Jesus Christ gave his life, not just for everybody, but for you by name, and when you find your soul uh, loved with immeasurable love that you do not deserve, and then you find yourself returning that love and loving Jesus back because of what he has done for you and all that he is, then in those moments of sweetness, you are tasting the first taste of heaven's joy. The joy that you experience in heaven will be bigger, but not fundamentally different. Or 
in those moments when you cannot sense God at all, and yet you find yourself trusting Jesus or being held by your shepherd, and you cannot hold yourself. And when you find yourself crying out, Jesus, hold me, because I cannot keep myself with you. And when you find yourself reaching out to your brothers and sisters and saying, pray for me, because I don't have the faith to hold myself, hold me up with your prayers. In those times, too, when you feel great weakness, but you are walking by faith and not by sight, that also is a sign that the Holy Spirit is operative in your heart, bringing you unfailingly drawing you to that new building. He has made you to be a tabernacle. And it's the first taste of the joy of heaven. Let me say it yet differently again. In those moments when you feel your tentness, <laughs> when you feel fragility, when you feel your need to rely on God, and when you know that you're not autonomous. And by the way, team, there's going to be times right now you may feel like you pretty much are in control of your life. I don't know. It's not going to last very long. Do you hear the chuckles? Those come around. Anyways. But in those moments of tentness, when you feel the Father embracing you, and that becomes real, that fellowship with God is going to end up being the most permanent part of your existence for forever. Cling to that. So, okay, can you see what I'm, what I'm trying to say is this. If fellowship with God is really the thing that lasts forever, and if God is God's own best gift, and if God is the only thing that we cannot lose once we have gained him, then it makes sense to live to please him above anything else, doesn't it? If we live to please ourselves, we'll lose. Because even if we succeed, our bodies are going to fall apart. We'll lose ourselves. If we live to please others, we'll lose, because you know that that approval will not last long. But if we live to please the Lord, then we will win forever. But here's the last piece, and this is from verse 10, and this is both a warning and an encouragement. Everything we do in this tent matters for forever. Verse 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Okay, now, this is going to get a little heavy for a second, so everybody take a deep breath. Here we go. Okay, remember the dignity that God gave the tabernacle in the Old Testament? Uh, God designed the tabernacle to be a place where God and humanity could meet. It was his embassy. Well, that same dignity is, in, is bestowed upon your body and my body. But here's what it means. Um, if you go to a consulate from a different country or you go to an embassy of a different country and you deface the embassy or the consulate, what's going to happen? You're going to get in trouble, right? You're going to get in trouble with, with the country whose embassy you're defacing because an act against the embassy is an act against the host country. I mean, well, the, the country it represents. Yeah? Okay. Uh, that's the way God thinks about how we treat our bodies and the bodies of others. In the Old Testament, if somebody de uh, desecrated or misused the tabernacle, de God takes it seriously. If you've read the, no the Old Testament, you know that's true. And if you've read the New Testament, you know that's true, because when does Jesus get most angry? When does Jesus flip over tables? When his tabernacle, well, his temple, is being uh, misused. Now, 
that same zeal that God has, uh, God applies to the human body. So that if I desecrate or misuse my body, then God will see it as an offense against himself in a deep way. And if I use my body to misuse or desecrate somebody else's body, whether, it ha whether I have their consent in doing it or if I don't, then God will take that as an act against himself. And this verse tells us that one day, every single one of us, whether you belong to Jesus Christ or not, we will stand before Jesus Christ and he will be our judge. According to the Apostle Paul, that's one of the things that the resurrection of Jesus Christ proved. I can't go into that now. But we will answer for everything we've done with our bodies and everything we've done to our bodies and everything we've done to other people's bodies. And this is one of the ways that we know that God's justice will win in the end. And it's a grave warning to us. And if it doesn't frighten you, then you're not listening. And that fear must drive us to the cross of Christ. Because there on the cross of Christ, Jesus surrendered his body, his perfect body, his body that had never been desecrated, his body that had never desecrated somebody else, his body that had been used perfectly and that he had pleased the Father in every way. He surrendered that body. He surrendered that body to take the judgment that you and I deserve because every one of us have misused our bodies and the bodies of others. And therefore, every one of us are culpable in the final judgment. But Jesus Christ took that judgment upon himself when he died upon the cross. And therefore, when we surrender to Jesus Christ, and when you seek the pardon that only he can arrange, when you seek uh, his forgiveness through the cross, then when we stand before the judgment, if you belong to Jesus, when you stand before the judgment, all of our sins and our offenses will be pronounced pardoned, and they will have already have been pronounced pardoned. And then we will look at our Savior, and Jesus, we will see that he will be there to reward us for everything that we have done for his pleasure. But if we renounce the cross, or if we ignore the cross, then we will, in that day, we will face Jesus as our judge. And the consequences of that uh, will be beyond our imagining. But go back now to that moment when, uh, after you've surrendered to Jesus Christ and you stand before him as your judge, your sins will be put away, but what will remain is the reward. The reward for everything that you have done in this tent for his goodness and for his glory. All the good works that we have done We'll, uh, we will be rewarded for those things in ways that will never end. One of the things that that means is that the good things you do in this life to please the Lord Jesus, once you've surrendered to him, those good deeds will never, the, the, the repercussions of them will go on for forever. And therefore, do not be weary in doing well. So Emmanuel, uh, as we wrap up, feel the tentness of this life. We don't have much time left, okay? We're closer to death than we've ever been. Happy, happy thought. And as you feel the tentness of this life, remember the dignity of the tent God has given you. God has called you to be a tabernacle, 
a place where he lives in this world by his spirit. God is his best gift to you, and he gives us he gives us himself by giving us Jesus and by giving us his Holy Spirit. And that relationship with God in the spirit is the intimacy that will last forever. So ask God to continue to allure you with that intimacy and that joy. And then as you entrust yourself to the Holy Spirit, live with the judgment of Jesus always in view. Seek, um, uh, seek the treasure of heaven. And if you do not know Jesus, if you haven't surrendered your life to him, do that today. Do that today. Don't, don't wait. That procrastination is past. The time is now. And if you want to know how, talk to me. Talk to somebody else at church. Surrender your life to Jesus. He's calling you by name. And then, Emmanuel, as we walk forward, sometimes feeling our tentness, sometimes feeling the sweetness of intimacy, and very often feeling them simultaneously, then we will walk for the praise of the glory of Jesus Christ, and we will seek to please him in everything. And that is the greatest way to not waste this life and to enjoy eternity even now and to ages of ages. Amen? Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.